Welcome. This podcast is for women who believe that laughter is the best medicine and honesty is the best policy. This is the Mel and Kel Show. Join us each week as we share real conversations in real life as only girlfriends can do. Hi, I'm Melissa Webb. And I'm Kelly Hatcher. And together we are the Mel and Kel Show. We've been friends for a very long time, and I mean very long time. Long enough to know that life's ups and downs, well, they are best when shared with others. So join us each week as we talk about all things good and bad, related to friendship, family, and everything in between. We are so excited to spend time with you. Well, hello, beautifuls, and welcome to the Mel and Kel Show. Hey, you are joining me today on episode 119, and if you're paying close attention, you heard me just say me. Yes, it is Mel, and I am sorry to say that I do not have Kel uh, beside me or even across the Zoom computer today to record our episode. Um, She has been hospitalized, and I I want to assure you she's okay. She is okay. Um, But to just summarize what our new year uh, looked like, it wasn't at all what we planned. And it will, you'll see, tie into the title. Uh, May not sound like a really positive title to start the new year, Suffer Proudly. Um, But I think it's realistic. And if we are nothing else, we are relatable, honest, and true. So um, how has 2022 been for you so far? Perfect? Five days of bliss? (laughs) Probably not. Womp womp, right? That's just not how it is. And so for Cal, um, I was with her on New Year's Day, and um, I'd gotten there and we were hanging out and she was really lethargic as those of you who have been loyal listeners and been following along, yes, she finished her radiation. That's a great big win. Her chemo is all done. But there at the end, they give you some super doses. And those doses, uh, yeah, they are butt kickers. Let me just tell you. She was extremely weak, um, not very talkative, um, more in a, a horizontal position than vertical. Uh, and I just hung out with her. I tried to get her to eat some things she just couldn't. Um, and my concern, of course, at this point was like she wasn't even peeing. Like she just wasn't moving. She was just there. And, and we talked and she had said that her doctors and nurses had said that over the New Year's Eve weekend, there was a chance she might need to get a feeding tube put in. Because uh, it had at this point been six days without any food and barely any liquids. And um, they said, you know, go to Green Hospital down in La Jolla. That's, you know, near the area where she was doing all of her treatments. So they that's her team. That's where her oncology team is. And, and so it was New Year's Eve. And at this point, it was about 9 p.m. when we made the decision to at least give them a call. You know, we had actually prayed about it and then said, okay, let's call. I mean, COVID, you know, this new, um, this new, uh, what do I want to call it? Strand, strain uh, is, you know, pretty contagious. And we were thinking, oh my goodness, the urgent care hospital is probably packed with people with COVID and she can't get sick. Like, you know, it's one thing if everybody else is like, oh, it's so mild. Yeah, that's great for those who are perfectly healthy. But Kelly, who now 
her immunity has been jeopardized. She can't get a cold. Like she just would have trouble fighting that. So being at a hospital isn't really our first choice. So we go ahead and call just to find out how they are. And amazingly enough, the woman who answers says, gosh, on any other day, I would have told you expect a four to five hour wait. But if you could come in right now, there's nobody here. How crazy is that, right? So we went ahead and drove down. We got there probably about 9.40, 9.45 p.m. And seriously, my friends, I ne- I've never seen anything like it. We walk in. There's nobody in the first little waiting section. So we go right in, give our name, you know, all this sort of information that they need. And then normally they put you in like the bigger waiting room. And I glanced in there and I only saw one person. So I was super happy about that. But we didn't even have to go in there. They said, no, 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 we're going to get her straight to somebody who's going to take all her vitals. And then from there, within five to 10 minutes, she was in a private room. So they kept her away from everybody. I was so impressed. I was so pleased and totally giving praise at that point. Cause right. That's like unheard of. And I know some of you be like, Oh, it's just a coincidence. Yeah. I don't believe in coincidences. So um, sure enough, we get in there and she, they take blood. Um, they're going to, you know, test her for uh, all of her um, vitals, of course, to her blood pressure, all these things. They hook her up right away to the IV so they can get some liquid in her. Um, And while I was there, so I ended up being there until about midnight 30. And um, she had had five bags, you know, they do those big liter bags of liquid. And she was just man, sucking those up. And it, and so, and Kelly will tell the story probably too in the next episode, but it was pretty funny that at midnight, <laughs> right before that, you know, so we're talking like, I don't know, 1158. Kelly's like, Hey, good news. I have to pee. <laughs> so we're like, yes, that's, that's great news. So I help her up because she's had um, a couple doses of morphine to help with her pain. And so, you know, she's not really stable. So we're walking together to the bathroom and we get her to the bathroom and we get her situated. And I notice on my phone, it's like seconds until the new year. And I'm like, hey, Kel, three, two, one, happy new year. And there we were in the bathroom, actually quite happy that she was going to finally pee. I'm like, hey, maybe this is just a good sign that we're starting the new year. And that's how we started the new year in the hospital. We actually laughed about it because, you know, we've been friends for 30 years. We've spent many a New Year's together in our youth. And I can't lie, we've been in some bathrooms together for totally different reasons. But all the same, um, it was a win. They took her back. And at the time they said, yeah, we're not going to admit her to the hospital. You'll be taking her back. Um, But as they noticed, anytime they gave her anything, uh, she was supposed to take a pill. She was supposed to take a liquid. Um, If it was not intravenous, she couldn't keep it down. She was throwing it right back up. So they're like, hmm, we actually do want to keep you here. But they did not like the idea of the feeding tube because, again, her numbers came back and her platelets, her white blood cell counts, like all those things were saying "Mm -mm, she cannot take the risk or chance of getting an infection, which can happen when you put in feeding tubes, even just the one down the nose. 
um, as well as something that came up later, her swallow specialist was saying, if everything we're putting down you, your stomach is rejecting. Um, even if we were to put a tube down there, guess what? It would reject that too. So she does not have a feeding tube. So, uh, but she is still hospitalized. Kelly has not been home in 2022. Isn't that crazy? It really is crazy. Uh, they're running tests on her. Um, like with anything, there's a 50-50. So the good news is they are happy to report she's not in the amount of pain they expected. Some people at this point in stage that she is in, they literally can't swallow. She can swallow. She can actually still speak. A lot of times people can't speak. So they're like, wow, you're doing better in this area than we expected. So there's a win. But what is happening? Why is it that when you're swallowing and anything is getting into your stomach, you can't keep it down? She would tell you it's because this saliva that picks up in her in her mouth, which is completely red and burned from the radiation and her face is swollen, her neck is swollen a bit. Um, she continues obviously to lose weight. Um, but what's happening is that saliva that builds up gets all gunky for her. And she has a really sensitive gag reflex. So that feeling that starts in her mouth, probably because digestion is starting to happen down in her gut, that's creating this gag reflex. And then she just can't help it. Everything is coming back up. So and that's not good on the throat either for anybody who knows what that's like. So she is suffering. Like, I can't lie, you guys. This is suffering. There's, I don't know a better word for it. Absolutely suffering. But she's not giving up. She's making it through one day at a time. And that's what I figured we would talk about today is this idea and this concept of suffer proudly. I did not create those two words there together, suffer proudly. I actually read them in a book that I started early on in December. In this book, which some of you may have even read in college courses, um, high school courses, possibly there is a high school version of the book. Um, but the, the book is called Man's Search for Meaning, and it was written by Viktor Frankl. Um, a psychiatrist. So I think anybody who studied psychology, you may be like, oh my gosh, Melissa. Yes, I read that book. I know exactly what book you're talking about. Um, if you don't, I'm going to highly recommend you add it to a reading list this year uh, because I think there's a lot of value in it. So let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish man who was born in Vienna, Austria. Gosh, I think it was 1905. So he lived in the early 1900s. Um, interesting little fun fact about him. He actually really respected Sigmund Freud, who also was from Vienna. And he started a correspondence with Sigmund Freud and sharing ideas that he had. He actually wrote a paper and he sent it to Freud. Um, gosh, I think Viktor Frankl was only 16 at the time, 16 years old. And Freud published it. He actually published it. He thought it was so great. So Viktor Frankl, very bright man. Um, and by the age of 25, he was a doctor of psychiatry. Um, he went on to work in a hospital. He actually started like his own practice. But if you're paying attention to the time um, and his religious um, uh, origin, 
you also are putting together that this was the time of World War II. And um, it was a very frightening time for the Jewish people. Um, he ended up, he was married. He actually got married. Um, I think also like right in 1942, he married a nurse. Um, they actually were expecting their first child and the, the Nazi regime um, uh, forced an abortion for her to not have that baby. Um, it was, it was, I can't even imagine the fear and the darkness during this time they would uh, live in hiding. He had, he had two siblings. Uh, both of them were able, I think one went to Australia. One was able to get away to Italy. Um, but he stayed, he did not want to leave his, his aging parents. So he and his wife lived with his parents trying to protect them. And in 1942, they were all arrested by the Nazis and they were sent um, to a concentration camp. He, at this point, had written a manuscript and he was really afraid about leaving it behind. He did not want it to get into, you know, anybody else's hands or to be destroyed. So his wife actually sewed it inside the lining of his, his coat so when they were taken to the concentration camp, um, the first one, they, he had his coat with the manuscript sewn in. It was at the first camp that his father died. They were then taken to Auschwitz, where his mother was gassed and his wife uh, died. He did not find out about that. He knew about his mother right away, but he didn't know about his wife until later that she died um, as well. He was kept there and separated from them. He was sent to a labor camp. He was there for a while and then he went to another labor camp, but it was in the Auschwitz um, camp that they destroyed all of his things, including of course the manuscript that would have been burned when his coat was burned. Uh, he was in uh, two concentration camps over a course of three years. Obviously he, extreme, uh, he witnessed some extreme brutality um, as no one should. He lost his whole family. Like he just, I, I just, I, it's mind boggling to think that humans treated humans this way. It, it really is hard to wrap my head around. But what he worked on during those three years is what kept him alive. And he helped a lot of people during this time. And his book, Man's Search for Meaning, um, it, it's a good one. And so seriously, if you've not read it, it's been a long time. I highly recommend uh, that you read it. I actually gave this, it may sound odd, but I gave this book as a gift to both of um, our boys that are still at home with us, um, Derek and Adam. Derek is 18, Adam is 22. And I actually got them the high school version. I don't know if I've shared this before, you know, um, you know, I love to read. I love to read. Oh my gosh. I read everything. I absolutely think reading is the most wonderful thing in the world. Um, and I have kids that don't read. I mean, they've only read because they've had to read. I'm hoping that as adults, that will change. I wrote them each a letter and inserted it with this book. And in the letter, um, and I actually gave it to them the day after Christmas, because I just didn't want it to be a gift that was like under the tree. I wanted it to be a gift for a grown up. And we had a conversation, I had a separate conversation with each of my sons. And I just really had it in my heart to say that I want you to spend your life learning from people who've gone before you. 
I mean, we can learn from younger people, of course, but there are people that have lived a life, you know, years ahead of us that we can learn from. Some of them we're fortunate enough to know. We have the honor of them being in our lives. Maybe you have a, a parent or a grandparent, a, a older aunt or uncle who's really inspired you in your life. That's great. That's so great. But there are people that we'll never meet. Maybe they're even deceased. Viktor Frankl was released and survived the concentration camp. At age 42, he went on in his own life to do many great, great things. He lived to the age of 92. I believe he died of a heart attack. He lived a long life. He did great things in the life that he had, um, went on to teach, wrote more books. Obviously, Man's Search of Meaning, I think it was published like in the early 1960s. I mean, this book's been around, it's been around. And his main point, if I could summarize it, it's a great book. You have to read it. But to summarize it, basically, he says that suffering is a part of life. It just is. And there's so many different kinds of suffering. It's not to be compared one suffering to another suffering because it's very personal and it's isolating. Suffering, suffering is a lonely experience. Because nobody understands exactly what you're going through. Don't expect somebody to understand they can't. They might, they might empathize with certain parts. They may sympathize 100%. But suffering is a personal journey. And it's something we all have to figure out on our own. There is a solution. And as you search for the meaning, it's so easy. Like our, our brain just wants to say, why? Why? Why life? Why life have you done this to me, right? And, and the reason why is, you know, our brains don't want to make the same mistake twice. So we're, we're wondering, like, why did this happen? So I don't do it again, because I don't want to go through this again. There's nothing wrong. It's normal to ask those questions, but there, it doesn't serve us. So don't spend much time in the why department. What his book is really about is don't ask life why. Instead, Start asking life, life, what, what do I do with this? What is there for me to gain from this? What can I do to help someone else in the future? What will be the outcome of this journey that I am on? Because from there, there is so much more growth and meaning that can happen in our lives. And I just think that this is a book that would be one that would really have you contemplate from the side that will grow you into a new and better version of yourself in this next year. Because here's the truth. We will all suffer, but how we suffer is up to us. Why not suffer proudly? I'm suffering, but I'm going to do this. I'm suffering, but I'm going to come out better for having suffered. Right. That that's a mind bender right there. And here's the thing. As I asked you in the very beginning of this podcast, how has 2020 been for you so far? Perfect. <laughs> right. Five days of bliss. Probably not. Right. Yeah. Let me tell you, I don't know anybody so far who's had a perfect 2022 because life isn't perfect. It's not supposed to be. We wouldn't have a hundred different emotions built into our being if we weren't supposed to be happy and sad. 
elated and frustrated. And I've heard people say, oh, great, 2022 isn't going to be a great year. I've already had a problem. Stop. (laughs) Suffer proudly. Of course it hasn't been perfect. It's not going to be. It was never going to be. Don't argue with reality. (laughs) It's a waste of time. Life is 50-50, and that starts on day one of a new year. There's nothing wrong. If you've already blown the diet, so what? Start again. If you haven't worked out every day like you promised yourself you would, maybe you learned that every day is just a bit too much. How about every other day? Find a different plan. Suffer proudly. Figure it out. I know you can. And uh, the other thing I have to do, I have to do a shout out. One of our uh, listeners, I'm trying to remember who it was. I totally give you credit if I could remember who shared this with me. I had shared a post that listed 40 of the books that I read in 2022. And somebody said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but there's um, a journal you can buy. And if you know me, I love journals. There's a journal you can buy. Um, that actually helps you record everything that you read. And I was like, what? And sure enough, it's called a reading log notebook. I found one on Amazon for only like seven bucks. I'll link to it in the show notes that you can find. Um, If not, you can always reach out and ask me. But it's really cool because it's got over 100 pages in it. And on each page, it has these like little sections. So first you check off, was it like a paperback book you read, a hardback book? Was it an audio book, an ebook? Um, you put the date that you started the book, the day you finished the book, you have a you know five-star rating that you can rate it. Title, author, page count, all those cool things. Mark out if it marked down if it's a nonfiction or if it's a fiction, subject genre. And then you can, there's even a section for quotes because I often find quotes that I love in books. Um, and then there's note section, review section. Like I am so excited about this journaling notebook where I can actually keep track of my reading log. So if you're like me, anybody like me, you'd be like, oh, I'm totally getting that Mel. Yeah, I'll link to it. I know it's pretty cool if you geek out over stuff like that, like I do. All right, you guys, that's it. Um, By the way, I did want to jump in and read a new podcast review. But life is 50-50. We don't have any new ones. So I had nothing to read for you. But hey, that doesn't mean that you can't leave a review that then I could read next week or have Kelly read next week. I know she'll be back next week. I promise you she will. But thanks for hanging out with me today. Totally appreciate it. I'm glad you tuned in. I hope you have a most wonderful week. And um Yeah, I think that's it. We're not doing as great on our socials, but go on over and check out anything that we do post on Instagram or Facebook. We will look forward to seeing you there on the socials. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to connect with Mel or Kel, be sure to follow them on Instagram at the Mel and Kel Show, or you can find them on their website at themelandkelshow.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.